Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, what I want to discuss today has kind of been in line with some of our prior conversations about, you know, praying, one of the important aspects that Jesus did to become, you know, more like him, you know, as as part of the goal is to emulate his life. And before that, we had discussed about how it can be hard to do some of the things that Jesus did and some of the things that the faith calls us to do, you know, being kind to each other, all the Beatitudes, you know, all the important things. And today I wanted to talk about this, some of the service aspect that Christ did. And since one of the goals of this podcast from the beginning has always been to emphasize on people getting closer to God, one of the ways is to get closer to the church. So what I wanted to use this conversation for was to kind of talk about the benefits of becoming more active within your parish, particularly within the mass. So I know that you run masses as the priest, you're the most important participant in the mass without you, there cannot be a mass. Um, so obviously you have the most, uh, um, significant role within the mass as far as participation, but there's a lot of things that us as non-ordained people can do. You know, we can be Eucharist ministers, we can read, we can do the singing. And I wanted to kind of emphasize, you know, the benefits that come from that and the importance that it plays into the mass uh, from your perspective and from the perspective of the church as a whole. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. I'm a, I'm not sure I'm going to give uh, give an answer maybe that uh, that people are expecting, but I, it's because it's uh, it's actually a place where there's I, I find a lot of misconception about um, people's uh, role in the church. So I really appreciate having the chance to say this because I say it a lot in various conversations in different places, and it's uh, it's a nice opportunity to to look at it. So I want to just take a step back first of all and look at the the role of the priest and then the role of the laity and you know really the we've talked about this before and it's it's worth reemphasizing you know the 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 role of the lay faithful is to bring uh, sanctification to the world to the the temporal sphere so the the things that are out there as you do in your business, for example, you know, by, by being a, an, an ethical uh, business owner, by your interactions with people, by just your, your witness and your words, um, you're able to uh, bring, help people to grow in, in whole, you're able to bring God's presence into the world. And uh, so that's, uh, that's really important and that's exactly what you're supposed to do. I don't work in housing. I have no contact with people in housing and I I never will, God willing. Uh so I it's not it's not part of what I do. So the the lay faithful bring God into the world and then they bring the world into the church in the sense of the sacrifices that you offer, your life, your daily uh labors, your your own personal intentions that you gather up from the people that you interact with, 
you bring all of that in your heart, and that's your offering at the Mass. So when you come into the Mass, you're bringing all of that uh, daily, weekly, uh, you know, your whole life that's lived out in the world, you're bringing that into the, the sacred sphere. And then the bread and wine really symbolizes that. The bread is uh, symbolically that which you have created by the work of your hands, it's uh, the, the sacrifices, the, the wheat that's crushed and then formed into to bread by your labors and, and your prayers. And likewise, the wine that takes time to grow and is part of God's creation, but then also is, you know, combined with the, your labor in order to, to bring about wine. So the bread and wine symbolize your offering. But really, that's what you that's the most important thing that you bring into the mass is the is your life in the world your life as a, as a christian and then you take the fruits of the mass which are the all of that bread and wine transformed into the body and blood of christ united with the sacrifice of the cross and then given to you in holy communion you are sanctified and filled up and then you bring that back out into the world hopefully to make you an even better business owner an even more ethical man to to be even more filled with charity uh, not only in your daily work, but also in your, your charitable activities, and of course, in a very central way in your marriage and in your family. So that's the primary role of the laity in the Mass, is that participation. That's what it's all about, and that's what really needs to be optimized, that you bring as much as you can by your daily responsibility, by your labors, by your sacrifices, that you bring that into the Mass. And then that's presented the, the priest stands in the person of Christ and, you know, kind of the sanctuary of the, of the church is that sacred sphere and your, all of your labors under the symbol of bread and wine are carried into that sacred sphere and then through the liturgy of the Eucharist are transformed into the body and blood of Christ to bring forth this kind of spiritual fruit and then again you receive that and you take that back out into the world. So that's the that's the central role of the of the lay faithful in the mass. Uh, everything that happens in the sanctuary is actually intended to be done by the priest, and then there are sort of extensions of the priest, which uh, generally uh, the the altar servers, the deacons, um, you know, the uh, that that whole movement is really all meant to be, if we could sort of have all priests there, that would in some way be the ideal. And that's what you see when the Pope has mass. You know, the Pope is presiding and then he has, you know, priests who are, who are really serving and, uh, or, or seminarians who are serving, sort of pre-priests who are serving, uh, who also are, are, according to the teaching of the church anyway, the documents, they're the ones who should be doing the readings. And, and certainly, the Eucharistic ministers are the ordinary Eucharistic ministers. That is to say, the only ones who are legally able to do it in every circumstance are the priests and deacons. So uh, only by extraordinary, unusual, uh, out-of-the-ordinary circumstances should any lay faithful be administering Holy Communion. Because again, you can see the, the movement of all of this is the lay faithful are bringing all of their sacrifices into the sanctuary, it's being transformed at the hands of Christ, who are the sacramentally ordained ministers, and then uh, those who have been set aside for that purpose, 
give that back to the lay faithful. So it's really Christ giving his own body in a way to, to you, to your wife, to so many other people who are doing the really hard work and, and the most important work of evangelization, which is bringing all of this into time and space, into the world. So, uh, so in terms of the mass, those who are kind of operating the mass, those who are carrying out the, the, the logistics and the movements of the mass are primarily Christ. Christ is the one who ought to be working in the church, and those ministers who are ordained to be in the person of Christ are the ones who ought to be doing all the work in the church to help you who are doing all the work in the world to be able to receive, primarily to receive uh, in, the, in the context of the Mass. Now, it's true that by ordinary, extraordinary circumstances, you know, every parish doesn't have a host of seminarians or, or a dozen happen there in the mass and so in a parish setting it's possible for some people to act like priests and I say that intentionally to act like priests and and the church allows that so that the mass can flow in in a more reasonable way and and you know be uh, so we don't just have one Eucharistic minister the priest is the only Eucharistic minister and then the other lay people who might be giving communion are called extraordinary ministers of holy communion and so the communion doesn't take an hour and people aren't you know excessively burdened by a communion that would take forever it's possible just on on an extraordinary basis when there aren't enough priests or deacons to give communion that the lay faithful can also give communion um, and there's also been a kind of greater appreciation for having some members of the laity do the reading. The reading is, the liturgy of the word is a little bit more a, a threshold experience that's, you know, uh, anyway, kind of preparation for the Eucharist. But everything in the liturgy of the Eucharist itself really is meant to be carried out by the ordained, by the sacred ministers who are kind of living in that sacred space in order to receive, again, the things of the world, and then offer that sacred uh, nourishment to those people who are in the world, who are doing the hard work of, of sanctifying the world itself. So uh, I'm not sure that was exactly the answer that you were looking for, but uh, that's that's the you know the way that the the liturgy is meant to uh, is meant to unfold. And so it's a it's kind of an unfortunate side effect of um, Anyway, I don't want to analyze all the dynamics of it, but people have gotten the idea that by participating as a lector or a cantor or a, uh, a, an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion, that somehow their their participation in the church is better or that they are a better Catholic or something like that. And um, and certainly I appreciate it. I'm not talking down, Lord have mercy. I mean, and, and the point is that there are generous people who, are, who have been committed and help out in that way. And that is a real service. I'm not talking it down at all. But I'm just trying to point out that it's, it's out of the ordinary. It's not the way that it's meant to be. It's a consequence of, uh, you know, things being sort of spread out as they are and maybe the numbers of clergy being a little less than, than we might hope they would be. And, um, you know, in the in the old days when you had four priests at a parish, all four priests would give Holy Communion at every Mass. Even only one priest was celebrating the Mass, but the other priest would come out to help with Holy Communion. And not as many people received Communion, which is another, just another artifact of, uh, of older times. But uh, 
there are certainly very generous people and it's really important it's a great service for for the the rest of the the church that they don't have to wait you know take many hours to for the administration of holy communion but but the primary participation the most important participation to to increase is that intentional participation the prayerful participation in the heart really bringing the sacrifices of the world into the church and then receiving especially in the places where there are greatest needs in our hearts to receive the the nourishment of the eucharist which can then be carried back out into the world which can be embodied in uh, our, our daily interactions and our daily charity and our compassion and generous service and the sacrifices that we make out in in the context of the world certainly a, a lot to unpack there so to try to go through in the order that you said there, the starting point was that as the laity, that we have a lot to, to bring to the mass. We're, we're bringing ourselves in our everyday ministry. And one of the things that you said that becoming better at that makes me better at business. And that's 100% true. Um, yes, it also definitely makes my marriage better and, and, and all the other relationships better. But it certainly makes it better mostly because of the better relationships that are established, it, it makes business better. There's just no other way to say it. It, it. There's tangible benefits from it that are hard to point or direct cause and relation type effects, but there definitely are benefits from it. The second element of it is that with the understanding that there is a desire from the Catholic perspective to have all priests do it as far as being Eucharist ministers and being up there as being part of the second portion of the mass from pretty much the petitions on once we're doing the liturgy and the preparation of the Eucharist, that it makes sense that that the original goal was to have priests do that. But because of various outcomes, basically more churches um, and, and and not a substantial growth in the amount of priests therein, adjustments had to be made. And you called them extraordinarily adjustments. And I think that for some people that that's going to strike odd because, you know, every mass they see, you know, three Eucharistic ministers and the priest. So how extraordinary is it if it's regular routine? But it's extraordinary from the perspective that it wasn't the way it was intended and we, there, there's some adjustments being made to accommodate everyone. Because as you said, whenever there's a whole church full of people, you know, you're not going to want to have everyone wait around for an hour to, 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 to receive the communion. And the last point that you made there is something that I want to focus on moving forward here. Because it's something that I've noticed from time to time, and I've always kind of wondered about it. You said that there were less people having communion then. And the initial thought is, well, that doesn't make sense because we know that participation overall statistically is down. So therefore, there would have been more people in churches before, but you're saying less of them had communion. And there had to be a reason behind that, that... You do see some people who still will go to a mass and not receive communion. And that has always struck me 
So with the next portion of this episode here, I'd like to discuss some of the reasons why you would go to a mass, but not necessarily come up and receive communion. Yeah, it's uh it's one of these uh one of these kind of interesting things on the so on the one end of the spectrum and thanks for your summary by the way of uh my my rather long monologue at the at the outset you did a great job capturing those uh those points um i might point out just a one sort of footnote to that that we we've gotten kind of energetic and not in accord with the with the documents of the liturgy we've gotten kind of energetic about having lots of extraordinary ministers. There's been this, this idea in some places that giving people a chance to help in the mass is like helping them in some way. And so we sort of stretched ourselves to say, oh, you know, gosh, if 10 people want to help, then sure, let's, let's let 10 people help. But it's really not, it, it's confusing then about, uh, well, it really diminishes. You know, I, I, said, I, I, I offered those reflections in that order because I hold in such high regard, I mean, the most high regard, what you do out in the world. <laughs> and and it sort of, it really diminishes that to think, oh, you're only a good Catholic if you're doing things in the mass. That couldn't be farther from the truth. Acting more like a priest doesn't make you more like a good Catholic. It, it, it makes you more confused about what your, your, your genuine contribution is and your vocation is, you know, from the Lord. So... Um, yeah, anyway, so I'm, I'm happy to, you know, have the chance to talk about that a little bit. And, and certainly, the when, when the, when fewer ministers are needed, it's, it's going to be, you know, better and better. I, there are some other ways to reduce the number of, of extraordinary ministers so as to reduce that confusing sign. Um, but that can be a conversation for another time, but, uh, your point about receiving Holy Communion. So we know that, I mean, Holy Communion is God. And so there's a, a feeling that we have, I want to be in my, at my absolute best to receive him in the sacrament. And so that sentiment uh, has prevailed at different times in history that, uh, well, it's always a sentiment that we have, but how can I be at my absolute best? Well, the best would be if I just went to confession. A lot of people have that impulse. Wow, I just went to confession. I'm in a state of grace right now. I'm ready to die. Okay, well, you're also ready to receive Holy Communion. That's great. And uh, so some people, in order to only receive him when they're at their absolute best, uh, it became a kind of uh, cultural friend uh, to always go to confession immediately before receiving Holy Communion, like right before Mass or even the first part of the Mass, since it was in Latin anyway, you know, the Mass was kind of going on, people were going to confession, and then by the time that Holy Communion came around, they had just received confession in the last hour, and then were ready to receive Holy Communion. And so, and, and one could say, well, and otherwise, basically they would make a spiritual communion, and having participated in the Mass, being there for the grace that's given during the Mass, because there's a lot of grace from attending Mass. You know, sometimes we reduce Mass to Holy Communion, and that's also a, a distortion that we don't want to, you know, to promote. So uh, Mass is more than Holy Communion. 
but uh, there's a, there's a lot of grace just from participating. Sometimes people will, you know, feel like they can check out for the entire mass and then, you know, really focus on receiving Holy Communion. Well, that's missing a lot. We're missing a lot then. And so the idea, okay, well, I'm only going to receive Holy Communion after I just went to confession. Um, but every Mass, I'm going to participate as best I can and receive all the grace that's there. And even if God wants to give me the grace of Holy Communion, he can do that. You know, He's not bound by whether I actually receive the, the sacrament physically or not. He can still give me the grace of Holy Communion. And so I'll ask for that. If, if I'm able to receive it, if I'm in, enough in a state of grace to receive more grace, then great, I want that. And otherwise, um, you know, I'll just receive uh, whenever I can go to confession. So that became kind of the practice for a long time. Uh, or I don't, I, I've never studied this. Certainly it was the practice in the first half of the 20th century. And uh, probably I could say that also in the 19th century. And I'm not sure exactly uh, farther back than that. I haven't really looked into that. Um, but the the idea in the latter half of the 20th century was, well, God is also merciful, and you know we're it, it's, the teaching of the church has always been as long as you're not in mortal sin, then you can receive holy communion, and and we you know developed a little bit more optimistic view of not being in mortal sin that God is merciful and we can uh, you know receive more grace. We don't have to be absolutely at our whatever, just having gone to confession, having made this uh, deep cleansing of the sacrament of confession, we could receive communion even daily, and we would be much better off for that. And so that trend really became much stronger. And, and again, I don't know exactly, I never studied exactly when the transition happened. Promoting more frequent communion started at the beginning of the 20th century, and so certainly in some places that was more widespread. Pope uh, St. Pius X uh, made some adjustments, reduced the age for First Communion from uh, 13 to about 7 to the age of reason, and really promoted more frequent reception of Holy Communion. So just a different attitude of, um, there's, there's the attitude of, I never under any circumstances want to receive Communion if there's any question that I might not be in a state of grace, that's that's one extreme which has dominated for a long time. Uh, and more recently, our attitude has been, I never want to miss the opportunity to receive Holy Communion uh, if if I might be in a state of grace. <laughs> so that's a different, different extreme, and that seems to be the one that we're in now. And I'm not making a judgment on which is better, but just trying to... Uh, explain sort of where we were and, and where we are. Yeah, from that, you almost see a background of pessimism or optimism that, well, yeah. I, I, know right. I, I know I'm not in a state of grace, so I'm not, or, or I might be in a state of grace, so let, let, let's try here. It's, a, it's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, and, and I guess from this perspective, because it, I guess it's a question. Obviously, confession is explicitly designed to purify your soul and remove sins. And it's one of the way that the sacraments of God, but the Eucharist is also giving 
God to you. Um, and with that, all of his graces and mercies. So while by no means am I trying to say that they are the same or interchangeable, um, could a thought process not exist that says, even if I not, even if I'm trying to be on the optimism side and I might be wrong by a fault or, or whatever, um, that it, it would be better to be closer to God to, um, to just be with him just, just for that simple fact. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Again, there's, uh, you, you said it very well, the contrast between pessimism and optimism and, and uh, so there's, you know, you can kind of spin these different ways and say, well, you know, when you receive Holy communion, every mass that makes it, uh, easier to take it for granted and then are you really receiving all of the grace because your your you know your your mind and your heart are a thousand miles away or or you might even you know the way that we receive holy communion has also changed and uh can make it a more make it easier to be more casual about it and you know when holy communion was always received at the communion rail kneeling and you would kneel there probably for a, couple, a minute or two beforehand, and you could stay kneeling there for, you know, another minute afterward. And then there's a sort of prolonged space that you have for preparing and then uh, receiving Holy Communion uh, that, that you really think, oh, you know, I don't kneel to receive anything else, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing I, I kneel to receive except Holy Communion. Uh, maybe Maybe a blessing, some, you know, people who are... Uh, devout kneel to receive the the priest's blessing. So you see, kneeling is reserved for receiving sacred things, and that helps to kind of prepare our minds by preparing our bodies to do that. Uh, Now with the process of just standing to receive and even receiving in the hand, again, receiving on the tongue is another example of something I only would do for Holy Communion. I never receive anything on the tongue, and so that can kind of tune me into this is you know, something extraordinary. And when I receive in the hand, I receive lots of things in the hand after waiting in line. Mm-hmm. You know, I receive hamburgers and I receive uh, you know, uh, notices and I receive uh, whatever. I wait in line and receive lots of things in the hand, uh, change after my uh, visit to the supermarket or something. So uh, removing some of these things, less frequent communion, less uh, reverent postures, I'll say, making things more familiar, more regular, uh, has the danger of, of removing our attention from how sacred the experience is. And so that's a, that's a danger that we have to be aware of. Again, these things are not sort of fundamentally evil or something like that, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just uh, something we have to work a little bit harder to really rouse our attention for the sake of, of receiving Holy Communion with great reverence as, as we should. Perfect. Well, that's certainly a, a conversation that we're going to want to continue here. But as we're, we're drawing to the end of today's episode, I do want to thank everyone for, for listening here and continuing to tell a friend to about our cast and helping us to grow. So thank you, everyone. We'll be with you again next week. <laughs>